Welcome to Zeitgeist with Zach Geist. I'm your host, Zach Geist. This show is made possible by Student Loan Tutor, which you can find at studentloantutor.com. If you enjoy this podcast, please take a moment and give us a review. Welcome to Zeitgeist with Zach Geist. This is the host, Zach Geist, and I'm here with Dr. Claire Johnson. And um, it's been a while since I've done a podcast, Claire. It's been for uh, the last one I did was actually with Jorge Canessa Sevilla. So I think you're probably familiar with who that, that was is. It's a long time back, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Claire, I've wanted to have this podcast with Claire for some time, and we actually have scheduled it two specific times. And one time, her and I show up, and we're like, "This isn't the right time." And then another, <laughs> the next time, it was it was not the right time for other reasons. But uh, today, I guess. Uh, it is the Kairos, meaning that the time is the time is right for the podcast. So, uh, yeah, that's it. The universe is smiling on us today. <laughs> exactly. So, what I love about uh, you, Claire, is that uh, I've I've recommended your book. I think it's like on par with some of Charles Eisenstein's books that I've recommended to different people. Uh, your book, The Complete Guide to Lucid Dreaming, Llewellyn's Complete Guide to Lucid Dreaming, is probably maybe my most frequently recommended book right now. And it's an intense book. Like people like order it and it shows up and they're, they're like, what in the heck? Who shipped me a gigantic brick in the, uh, in the mail? <laughs> you know, they're, 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 they're getting helped lifting it to their car. But it's, it's an intense book. The audio version, I think, is like 24 hours long on the topic of lucid dreaming. Um, so how long did it take you to write that book, by the way, Claire? Oh, it took me a few years. I mean, but you could say it's hard to know, isn't it, when a book actually starts to germinate. I mean, it's been a lifelong trip. Um, and then this book itself, I guess it took me about three or four years to actually write it and get it all shaped up and then uh, published. So, yeah, but it's, it's a huge journey. It's my whole life is in, in that book, really. I could feel that come across in the book. I mean, when you, re I mean, I've read so many books and I could tell you know, how much work and how much heart and soul is in, is in the work. Um, and I, and I feel it emanating from that book. The minute I started to listen to it, I, I, I thought, wow, this book is speaking directly to me. And it's been, gosh, I, 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 I want to make sure I'm being honest with this statement. Um, it's been, I could confidently say it's been one of the most profound books I've ever read. Uh, if not, maybe the most profound. I, I I've said that I think in in my review of your book, uh, I said, if I was trapped on a desert island with a book, you hear this saying a lot, uh, if you're trapped on a desert island, what book would you bring? And and I would bring your book. Uh, and I would bring your book uh, uh, because it's an invitation into an entirely different world. Uh, I, I recently, I mean, two years ago, watched this series on Netflix called The OA, and I don't want to like give away too much of it if people, listeners, haven't seen that series on Netflix. But in short, they're able to tap into a different dimension of being. And there, you know, the rules are different. And there are insights that are able to be carried back over into this world. And your book, The Complete Guide to Lucid Dreaming, is the closest invitation into that world that I've seen. And And not like as an idea, like it's not like, I read your book and I'm like, well, those are some cool ideas. You know, she's probably right or she's probably wrong or I agree with some of it, but not all of it. But I actually started reading your book and I was struggling to lucid dream prior to reading it. And I, right as I started to read it, I had a lucid dream three nights in a row, which for me, like pretty much like doubled all of the lucid dreaming I had had up till then. 
And this like past two weeks, I've lucid dreamed almost every night. And I'm still working with your book. This is actually my third time uh, going through going through that specific book, and I've read other other books of yours also. So uh, I guess that's me just kind of really wanting people to hear how profound this has been for me uh, and why it's so... And when I say, if somebody's experienced lucid dreaming, maybe they have some glimpse into how powerful lucid dreams could be uh, for our, for ourselves, for our soul, for our awareness, for our being, right? Uh, but then there's something called, uh, you refer to it as deep lucid dreaming. I know Robert Wagoner, who I've had on the, on the show as well, he, uh, he talks about a journey into the inner self, but none of these really quite explain how deep this really goes. Uh, maybe the question I would love to ask you, Claire, is you've made lucid dreaming and exploring lucid dreaming, and it's a whole world. It's not just one thing. I think a lot of people hear lucid dreaming, it's like, oh, that's that's one, you know, that's like peanut butter, and then you have lucid dreaming, and then you have, you know, trees, but one specific type of tree, you know, that's a type of dreaming, but it's not just a type of dreaming, it's an entirely, it's not even one state of consciousness, it's an entire spectrum of consciousness that actually enhances the consciousness that we're living in, speaking to each other in today. I, I want to know if, if you could share when you might have started to realize that, and how did it capture uh, your dharma? Yeah. So, um, well, when my my earliest memory was when I was three years old, and I had a dream that I was drowning in a swimming pool, and uh, I was terrified. I couldn't get up to the surface again, uh, and I suddenly realized, wow, you know, I I could stay in this dream and continue with it, and I will definitely drown, or I could wake myself up. So that was like a flash of lucidity in my consciousness. And I chose to wake up. And so I rolled over really violently and fell out of the bed and hit the floor. And my mother came up to see what was happening. And when I told her about my dream, she said, Oh, Claire, you know, that was just a dream. It wasn't real. So you can go back to sleep now. And when she said it wasn't real, that kind of shocked me on a quite a deep level because I had never experienced anything so real as drowning in that turquoise swimming pool. And it didn't feel uh, particularly real to be in my shadowy bedroom with my mum, you know, at that point. And so it really struck me. It was like a it was like a division in my consciousness. It made me realize, okay, so there's this one world, this solid waking reality that my parents and every other person seems to think is the only real reality. But then there's this whole other world and it is incredibly real and incredibly vivid. Um, and yet they're dismissing it. And so it was very strange for me. I didn't understand why someone could say that that dream world was not real. And I continued to have these super vivid dreams and also nightmares, also lucid nightmares where you're aware that you're in the dream state but you can't seem to react or wake yourself up. I had out-of-body experiences, amazing experiences of flying around in my garden and meeting beings in the hedge <laughs> who would tell me secrets and show me ancient books full of magical symbols, all these kinds of things. And I had no one to share it with, but I knew that that was super real and important. And so I think, you know, from a very, very early age, I was shown or initiated in some way uh, into this, um, this state of consciousness 
that goes down to the fabric of existence. And, you know, there's this super awareness that we all have in us, and most of us layer over it with all our regular waking consciousness. You know, we, we have these ideas and concepts and limited beliefs that we kind of, we layer ourselves up with these things, and then we grow out of contact with that deep, pure essence of life and it's such a shame and lucid dreaming is a way to dissolve those other layers that we've built up through our beliefs and expectations dissolve them and then well what do you have you have pure light you have pure awareness you have this amazing consciousness that is transformative and and connects you with the source, the very source of, of life itself. And so that, that was um, the experience that initiated me into, into deep lucid dreaming, and it's been a wild trip ever since then. <laughs> I want to just say, is that all? I mean, because it's, it's so, it's so, in, it's what you just shared is so intense. If you, you, we live in a strange time where, you know, people overpromise, and they, you know, we live in this like post-truth, people call it post-truth society where people just make up crazy claims with no intention even to back it up. And, and for me, that was, that was religion. You know, it's like, there's this God and we're sure he's correct and you have to do this and then you'll get to some place in the future and you have to have faith and you don't have enough of it. And then what you just said is like, no, I actively could tap in to what I believe to be the ground of being, literally transform aspects of myself, integrate different pieces of myself, come into contact with other beings that are, that are helping me, that are coaching me. Are these beings generally friendly? Uh, are, they, are they frightening? Are they threatening? Do they have... I guess Einstein had a great quote. He says that eventually after after so long in life, if you've really spent your time really considering what it means to be alive, you will come up with, everybody will come up with the same question. And that question is, is the world uh, uh, inherently friendly or is the world inherently, you know, evil and against you? And I think what we're looking at right now in this time in, in, in age is that we're here in the middle of the, you know, Corona vaccine, I'm not Corona vaccine, the coronavirus and the Corona vaccine. And, you know, we're going to war against, you know, this virus and probably every other virus that comes. We're going to war with each other and different political parties. And, you know, and it's this idea that everything is kind of out to get us. And I think a lot of people are scared of their own consciousness. They're scared of the unconscious. Mm. They're scared of dreams. They're scared of dream figures. They're I think scared a lot of, of death as well. They're scared that's of death. That's a huge fear. They're very scared of death. And that's a major problem in our society. Are you scared? Fear of separation, but there's no separation. There is never any separation. And no, I'm not scared of my own death because I've, I've been there and I've done it uh, on the level of the lucid dreams. You know, I've met um, what happens after death. Maybe that's something you want to go into later in the in the in the podcast. I <laughs> hey, don't know. Why not? We seem why to not? be diving in pretty deep, pretty <laughs> fast. <laughs> but uh, but yeah, I, I mean, to, to return to your question about is it you know a friendly universe? Um, yeah. It's, it's love. It is actually pure love when you get down to it. And again, you know, it's, the problem is, is this sense that we're all separate from each other, that we're a separate mind stuck in a, you know, in a, and we have a separate brain and, and uh, he's that person and I'm this person and, and 
it's very strange that we seem to believe ourselves to be so separate. I just don't get that because we're not. Ultimately, we are all one. And that is such an incredibly gorgeous, amazing, beautiful thing to realize that we, we are all one. We all emerge from this, uh, this same consciousness. Um, we're part of like, I guess you could consider it like a, a universal soul. And we are all uh, little pieces of this soul, and there's no need to feel separate. Um, and I think this whole this whole idea of being separate makes us feel incredibly isolated and incredibly lonely in our lives. And I meet so many people who are looking, they're searching for a sense of belonging. And we don't have to look far, and that's the beautiful thing, you know. We, when we engage with our dreams. We engage with the deepest part of ourselves, okay? And it's like, it's right there. We all dream every night. Um, you know, at least six dreams every night, scientists say. I know I have many more, more than that because I can remember pretty much all of them. Um, but yeah, so that's like over 2,000 dreams a year. So that's over 2,000 opportunities every year to dive in, to get to know this deepest part of ourselves, to, to access the wisdom that our dreams bring us and to experience what lies beneath the dream of life and beneath the, the dream of, of nighttime, which is this incredible oneness, this unity, this light. And once you've experienced that light, uh, you don't really fear death anymore. There's no need to fear it anymore because you, you understand that it's a return to oneness uh, and, it, and it actually feels, wow, it just feels really wonderful to be in that light because that's where we, we came from. That's how it feels when you're, when you're there. Did you listen to that short clip that I sent you with uh, Zach Bush, MD? It was like a 10-minute long thing. I listened to it the other day, yeah. It was very good. It was interesting yeah. because he essentially is talking about when he worked in palliative care and he was he had the, he had a day where there was, he's a medical doctor that's talking a lot about uh, what's happening today and, you know, kind of our war against, you know, all. He actually lives in, in Hawaii, in Oahu, from what I'm told. Uh, but he's talking about, and I've... He's talking about how when people are, you know, have flatlined, and he had that happen three times on one of his shifts, that every single one of them was upset that they were brought back. And essentially what was conveyed in their experience, uh, and this isn't just uh, anecdotal, because I've heard this from other physicians as well. Uh, there's actually a great book. I don't know if you've read it. Have you read the book, Death is But a Dream? No. There's a book oh, that came no, out in 2020 called Death is But a Dream, and it's from a palliative care uh, doctor, and he says that what ends up happening is that the dream world and the waking physical reality begin to start merging. And oftentimes, because it freaks out the, the family of the person that's dying, they try to medicate the dream world away. Uh, so here we are again, afraid of death and afraid of dream. And I think that those things are very connected, death and dream. Uh, and I've heard people, I've heard people say that the closest thing to death is lucid dreaming. Uh, and so people are very afraid. It's essentially like surrendering into the unconscious, like being conscious in a world that you know isn't your waking physical reality. And you are way more with the, that world than you are with your everyday waking physical reality. Uh, but what I found so fascinating is he said, these three people that died that same, that same day conveyed the same message essentially to him, which is I, where I just was, I wasn't lonely. I was, I was together and connected with everything and everyone. And this place that you just brought me back to is the most lonely and miserable place. And it seems like 
so fascinating that there's so much beauty and connection that's like so close to us, you know, but yet somehow paradoxically so far. Uh, when I was talking to uh, Robert Wagner on the show uh, before I talked to uh, Jorge Canessa Sevilla was, I, I called that episode a blink away from heaven. Um, and it's because both him and I both had this concept, this idea of heaven. And I had a very vivid dream. Um, I, I, I didn't, I, it wasn't even lucid. I thought it was my life. And in that dream, I had died and gone to this heaven. And I was essentially stuck in the like, kind of biblical version of heaven, like pearly gates, gold streets, and, you know, and I, and I couldn't get out and there was nothing new. It was just basically, that was it. I'm like at Jesus's feet, listening to the heart play for all eternity. And the concept of being stuck in that one place for eternity, even though it was beautiful at first, became suddenly terrifying because I was like, I couldn't get out. It was almost like a prison of beauty, but like, it was just the same thing. It was like this, you know, one of these like, uh, carousel, you know, kind of like a night, like a beautiful nightmare, really. And I woke up and then here I am in my house. There's like fleas everywhere. It's cold. And I'm like, this is even better than where I just was. So mine was kind of like uh, an underworld initiation of sorts. And I think I was eight years old uh, where I was like, maybe that's what I needed to see because all of a sudden my waking physical reality was actually better than that dream reality was for me. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. But I mean, when you say that, um, that death is like uh, lucid dreaming, um, I think I would say that death is like deep lucid dreaming, like the deepest lucid dreaming, because a lot of lucid dreaming is this kind of psychological projection kind of reality. So everything looks like um, a bit like physical reality. Um, and it's very much um, a psychological reflection of how we're feeling. And we have a lot of emotions, you know, we have very strong emotional dreams, uh, or we do crazy things, but it all looks pretty much like this, like this waking reality. But when you go beyond that level of representational reality uh, in a lucid dream, you've got pure, pure awareness and effortless lucidity, and you go kind of beneath the surface of all that uh, illusory stuff, and you go down into this other layer, uh, which is very often perceived as light of any color. And that kind of deep state where you then lose, you don't have a, a lucid dream body anymore, uh, and you become maybe like a, a point of awareness, a point of consciousness. And then after a while, even that sense of I exist as a point of conscious awareness also dissolves. So you're not that anymore either. You become one. And that's this um, non-dual state of consciousness where everything is one and there's no sense of the ego self anymore. And there's just that that light and you become the light, this loving light. And I think that that kind of state, that uh, is what happens when, uh, when we die. And you can read this, as, as you mentioned with the doctor you just mentioned, um, that people who have near-death experiences will also experience this light, this very loving light, very welcoming, where you just feel like, oh, oh, I'm finally home, you know, just that relief in a sense of just being able to let go of all that, that even the physical body makes us feel separate because we look like we're separate from each other, you know, we've all got these different bodies and we seem to be moving in our own, in our own uh, separate space. You release the body. Oh, it's such a relief to do that in lucid dreams and uh, in death as well, for sure, especially if you've been suffering a lot. And then you become one with this incredible light, which is your essence. 
you know it's not something separate from us and what I try to teach people on my workshops as well is that this light, I call it the lucid light, is always present. We don't have to have a near-death experience to, to experience oneness and union with this light. It's actually always there. It's just that most of the time we're not that aware of it because we're in our waking mind and we're stressing about the future and worrying about the past and, and not paying attention in some way. But when you check in with yourself, you sit in nature and just feel the thrum of nature. That can bring you an experience of this light. Or if you sit and meditate, uh, or if you lie down and drift in your bed, you go into a yoga nidra kind of state of consciousness where you float on the cusp of sleep. Again, that can bring incredible experiences of the lucid light. It will just it will just emerge. I've had. Um, experiences where I've been really tired because I've been writing a book to a deadline, absolutely exhausted, send the book off, start feeling physically ill because I've overworked myself. And then on this one occasion I'm thinking of, I then just went straight into the bedroom for a nap, even though it was 11 o'clock in the morning. And I lay down. The moment I closed my eyes, it was incredibly blissful because this light started to fill up the corners of the room. It was this luminosity and it just came towards me. I was like, oh my goodness, it's, it's the light. The light has come and it held me. I, I was floating in this light and had this incredible, beautiful, timeless experience um, just dissolving into oneness. And at some point I came out of that experience and I looked at my clock and one and a half hours had gone by. So it'd been a long time in the light and I felt absolutely amazing. I was like hypercharged with energy. I jumped out of bed, I was like, yay. And, and I grabbed my bike and I went down uh, by the river and I rode my bike um, no-handed, you know, just like, <laughs> rode, <laughs> like a rode a lot. I love riding no-handed. Yeah, well, yeah, I love doing that. My daughter doesn't like it when I do it. She's like, Mom, stop that. But um, I love going no hands to downhills on my bike. Uh, it's like flying. So I did that and I was like, oh my goodness, you know, like just half an hour ago, I was feeling really ill. And now I'm feeling incredible because it's like plugging into the source. I mean, that's what it is. You recharge yourself. You recharge your energy on every level. So it's fantastic. If we can tap into that, you know. I hear, I hear. <laughs> skeptical minds mine would be skeptical too if i hadn't experienced some of what you're already talking what you're talking about here i haven't experienced all of it i've experienced the most magical experience of my life uh was in a lucid dream that had happened after you and i had you know begun talking to one, one another and you'd help coach me quite a bit so uh where it was that you know, life goes on long after the thrill of living is gone. That song that just started playing, which was my question, and uh, the dream responded, uh, the dreaming uh, responded in a way, not even a character, the dreaming itself responded to give me the answer that I was too scared to even ask because I was scared to get a negative. You know, I, I, you know I'm, I, I've, I've been scared of a judgmental God. You know, in my mind, I'm holding a tally on myself for anything I could have done that be a transgression. And basically, any type of exploration and anything other than what it says exactly verbatim in the Bible, in my mind and what I was raised with, is basically a transgression or a sin, you know, which is, uh, which is really locks you up, you know, and it makes you dependent on, you know, uh, gosh, some type of authority at all times. It's hard to be, you know, sovereign and 
definitely hard to feel connected to source itself, you know, source itself. You're always subservient in some way. And I think that was some of that terror of being at the feet of, of this God being listening to the heart be played for eternity. And that's just my role and being feeling stuck in that. It's, you know, it doesn't sound terrifying, but that was one of the most terrifying experiences that I've had at the time. It was for sure the most terrifying, worse than, you know, physical violence or anything. Um, I think with all that said, I wanted to ask you uh, a little bit more about uh, about your theory uh, that you go into in the complete guide about uh, a new essential uh, essentially physics. Because I, I hear the 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 skeptical mind going, "Yeah, you know, but that's just subjective. You know, maybe maybe Claire has some type of you know brain damage in her brain that lets her." Be- Let's let's her believe that she's having these experiences, but I can't experience that, and probably nobody else can. Or maybe she's just making it up because she needs to sell books or something. You know, five years ago, if I would have heard the stuff you were telling me, I'd be like, "Okay, come on." You know, I mean, seriously, like you're meeting other characters. You're actually in a three-dimensional reality, having like it's more real than waking physical reality that we're in normally you like i've i've had experiences in lucid dreams where i have a healing take place or something very profound and i am like shaking or like my whole body is like thrumming like you had said and then i wake up and it's still doing that like like i could actually with my waking physical body see that my actual waking physical body not just my dream body is doing what my dream body was just doing and like stuff that is not possible for the like that my waking body has never done before like i can't contrive the movements and sounds and stuff that i've woken up into and it hasn't been bad sounds it's been ecstatic feelings and sensations. Uh, so maybe uh, if you wouldn't mind touching on this, uh, I guess that your firsthand experience of this lucid light. Yeah. So, um, well, I mean, you said you sort of mentioned how it kind of relates to physics. Um, and in Llewellyn's complete book of lucid dreaming, I also mentioned briefly the work of the astrophysicist, uh, Dr. Bernard Heche, and uh, he, he wrote The God Theory. And he said uh, in that book that the key to creation does seem to lead back to light uh, and that light propagation may actually create time and space and that the most fundamental property of matter, which is mass, is created by light. Um, so we've got astrophysicists saying this. You've got, I mean, books like the Bible also saying, you know, God said, let there be light, and then there was light. You've got light in many wisdom traditions, Tibetan Buddhism, for example, and many others. So that this lucid light is not something that I've just <laughs> made up off the top of my head and thought, oh, that sounds like a fun concept. Um, you know, this is this is. We just have to see if you can get the web domain. <laughs> lucidlight.com and then trademark it. Ah, that's right. I'm just kidding. This business thinking. (laughs) Yeah. No, um, so it's not something I've made up. Um, This is something, a theory, or much more than a theory, it's an experience that's been around for an incredible 
amount of time. Uh, and I think, you know, I, I talk to people sometimes about uh, the early human mind as well. You know, there's, there's Ryan Hurd, um, he's, he, he's got the Dream Studies portal. Uh, he's written books on sleep paralysis and things, but he's also really into Paleolithic art. And he has he feels he's tapped into the same mind of the early peoples who, who did drawings in caves. Um, uh, he would see the same things in his dreams, and then he came across them looking at books about these caves. And so he went went to the caves and studied that art. And you can see this kind of the collective unconscious, you know, using Carl Jung's... Um, formulation of that you could say that we all tap into this deep mind you know over centuries and millennia because that is that is part of who we are this dreaming consciousness this underlying consciousness is within all of us and and I think you know the lucid light is it's the basis for all of that and I think we've all experienced it I actually think we probably all experience the the lucid light every night without remembering it in deep sleep because it's there it's underlying we we're in it now it's just that we're so in our heads that we're we're not connecting to it you know so the experiences of the lucid light I, I can tell you um I can share with you a, a lucid dream that I had where I was trying to find out about the nature of dreams and reality and uh, I became lucid in a dream and I was in a room and I shouted out, um, hey, dreaming mind, what are dreams made of? And the whole dream started to shake like an earthquake, like it was all going to dissolve. And I'm so used to that reaction. You know, I've seen and felt that happen so many times. So I just burst out laughing and I was like, yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, so dreams are made from energy. I get it. I get it. You don't have to put on this whole show for me, you know. Dreams are made of energy. And then I said, but wait, so tell me this then. What is energy made from? And the moment I asked that question, the whole dream calmed down. There was no more shaking anymore. And as I looked, I saw all these amazing chains of light beginning to form in front of me. And, and they locked together and they were glistening and glowing and luminous. And it all started coming together into this incredible formation all around me. And I was just so in awe of this. And I said, oh, wow. So energy is made of light, you know, and that was like a huge realization for me. Um, and that dream was the first of, of many similar dreams where I started to, to look for the light in my dreams. And I, I always say to people as well in my workshops, in any dream, move towards the light because that's where there's higher consciousness. If you're interested in having a higher consciousness experience, move towards the light in your dreams. And the light is not necessarily like a shining light, like you see the sun, it could be that, but it could also be really vibrant uh, dream figures or animals in glowing health, um, wonderful, healthy nature, that sort of thing. This is imbued with this light energy, this consciousness. So if we go towards whatever in our dream has this light or this higher higher level of awareness, then we are one step closer to experiencing the lucid light and having that truly immersive uh, experience of oneness. With them, 
but my dreams were exclusively nightmares, just to varying degrees. I had uh, night terrors. I had sleep paralysis with seemingly different smells and sounds and appear, you know, apparition type looking things showing up, jolting me awake repeatedly multiple times throughout the night. I would self medicate to be able to to sleep without that experience. I got to the point where I really like couldn't even let go to go to sleep. Uh, and then, but then I was also, and then I was also too terrified to just get stuck in the sleep paralysis. And so I was like, kind of, I had to basically, uh, I remember hearing Alan Watts in one of his talks talk about topper. I guess it's a, it's a word called topper. I haven't heard it mentioned elsewhere, but it's something that people would take opiates or some type of barbiturate or alcohol. And it puts you in this like sleepy kind of let go of the world state. Uh, because I was so hypervigilant when I was going to sleep and I was scared of the dreams. So I had like a mixture of both because like <laughs> the, the the sleep paralysis mixed with the like visions plus chest jolting and sounds was terrifying. And then if somehow I went to sleep, if I dreamed, it was terrifying. I remember like having nightmares and being like, oh, that wasn't that bad of a nightmare. Like that was like a like a but I still knew it was a nightmare. Like, I'm like, yeah, that's like really shitty experience. And I still have probably more than half nightmares. And uh, from what I understand, uh, I mean, some of them aren't really nightmares. It's like anxious or anxiety or like a fight happening, you know, but they're not like horrendous like they used to be. Um, so uh, what about those people that when you say move towards the light and they like find themselves either not even lucid, they're just having nightmares, uh, or they become lucid in a nightmare. Uh, I actually, the last, the last nightmare I had was like two nights ago. Uh, I was pretty intense. And I remember I'd watched kind of a thriller type movie before going to bed, which you talk about in your book to do this. Uh, and I said, the next time I told myself this repeatedly before going to bed, the next time I'm afraid, I'm going to remember to recognize I'm dreaming. The next time I'm afraid, I'm going to remember to recognize I'm dreaming. In the dream, they're like somebody's being tortured and killed in the back of a of a of a of a of a car. I try to get this person rescued, and the person that's trying to that's going to rescue him just opens it up, laughs at him, and punches him in the face a couple more times and closes the trunk. I try to tell the police who are out front. They say, "Why are you telling me?" and walk off. And then these people are essentially chasing me, trying to do the same to me. And of course, I'm in the, it's a super vivid dream. So I think this is really happening. I'm going to be killed. I'm going to also be thrown in this trunk and then, you know, tortured and killed. So I'm running and I'm terrified. And as I'm running terrified, the thought goes through my, my, my dreaming mind's head. And it goes, next time I'm afraid, I'm going to remember to recognize I'm dreaming. And I'm like, wait a second. And I like put my hands out and have three fingers. And then I like plug my nose and I'm able to breathe with my nose plugged. And I'm like fuck yeah, I'm in a lucid dream, you know? So I don't know if I don't, I don't know if I exactly reacted uh, after that. Once I became lucid, I like, you know, I don't know how mature I acted at that point, but, um, but it was definitely great to become lucid in that, in that nightmare. 
Exactly. And that's another of the, the, the really useful things about lucid dreaming is it can help us to overcome nightmares. And I've just recently, uh, my newest book is The Art of Transforming Nightmares. So it looks at all of this, how, how we can do this, how we can um, go into a nightmare and transform it when we become lucid within it. But also, more importantly, how to cope with nightmares where we're not getting lucid. You know, how else can we work with those? And there's, I have a whole range of practical techniques that I've developed based on my own experience from, you know, from years back when I had lots of very vivid, scary nightmares, sleep paralysis, uh, scary out-of-body experiences, all of those crazy, scary experiences um, that I had to go through myself. And um, all of these practical techniques uh, I've, I've put into this, uh, this new book. And so I have these techniques, I call them lucid dream play, because it's a way of working with a nightmare or a stress dream or anxiety dream while we're awake in ways that mirror the possibilities of lucid dreaming, because there are so many different possible nightmare responses. Um, so I can share, if you would like to, for, for listeners, I can share the lucid imaging nightmare solution because this is something that you can do when you wake up from a nightmare. So, or you can use it during the day if you don't want to work with the nightmare straight away. So what you do is you wake up from your nightmare and uh, you ask yourself, first of all, do I want to go back into this nightmare? Do I want to work with it? If it feels too scary or it makes you feel unsafe, then, then don't. And I think probably a lot of people listening to this remember a nightmare that they had at some point in their life yeah. that they try to make themselves forget. I know I've had a couple of those that I'm like, sure. I just don't want to think about it again. Just don't think about the elephant, you know. But uh, they could work with that nightmare in this way as well, right? If they're yeah, absolutely. And and nightmares, you know, I I always think of nightmares as they they flag up something that we need to hear. That's they're like dreams that shout at us to get their message across, but they carry healing gifts. Nightmares have incredible transformative energy. It's just amazing how much we can transform ourselves also uh, on the, the level of psychological growth and uh, psychological healing when we work with nightmares. So if you wake up from a nightmare or if you have one that, from the past that you want to work with and you choose to work with it feeling safe, uh, knowing you can stop the process at any time, then you can close your eyes, relax, and then vividly kind of rerun the nightmare movie so it's as if it's a movie that you can now direct you know you can rewind it fast forward it pause it so you're in control of how the the dream movie uh, moves along and so you let you go back to the tipping point I call it the tipping point is the moment that the dream changed into a nightmare so the moment that emotions got too bad you started to feel too fearful uh, or something scary happened like that's the moment the monster jumps out of the cupboard uh, so you can go back just before that moment and then and then let the movie run but this time you imagine that you are lucid in this dream which means that you can respond in any way. For example, you could uh, ask the dream monster why it's chasing you, you know, ask why this is happening in the dream. Do you have a message for me? That's often really interesting to hear what they come up with. Um, you could also become a superhero or get help, you know, we have so much help and so many resources. Get a strong animal to help you or a person from your waking life, bring them in, make sure you feel safe and protected. You can create an egg of light around yourself to make you feel safe and then 
work with the nightmare situation or you could send love you can generate a feeling of love by thinking about someone or an animal that you love unconditionally and then once you've got that love inside you just send it out as a stream of light towards whatever is upsetting you in your nightmare and that's very transformative as well to see what happens um, and there, oh, there are so many other different responses um, you can also go with the nightmare and just see, okay, well, how bad is this going to be? You know, let's see, this is a symbolic world. Let's just see what happens. Quite a few people find when they surrender to the nightmare, it's really not as scary as they thought. You know, they're surrounded by these terrible zombies in the nightmare. And when they go back into it through this lucid uh, dream play, um, they say, okay, do your worst. I don't, I don't care. Just do what you want. And then the zombies turn out to be just bumbling around and not really sure of what they're doing anyway. And then the energy of the dream changes, you know. And that's the thing to remember also in waking life. As soon as we change our energy, everyone else's energy changes. Dreams are highly thought-responsive environments. Actually, so is waking life. It's less thought-responsive than the dream world because it's a slower, denser, collective consensus reality dream. But in the dream world, uh, the, the sleeping dream world, we can see how our thoughts, intentions, beliefs, expectations, emotions automatically and instantaneously impact upon the dream and it will respond to us and that's a really really important lesson to learn for reality creation in in this waking world and so when we've gone back through the nightmare and we've changed it or responded to it in a different way and allowed the energy of the nightmare to transform and we feel we found a solution or a resolution that makes us feel better we can then uh, if we're still in our bed we can then say okay so the next time that I fall asleep and the next time that I'm dreaming I'm going to recognize that I'm dreaming so you can turn the lucid imaging nightmare solution into a lucidity trigger as well and have a lucid dream right from there so that's one of the, the core techniques in the in the new book and Claire I know you told me this I don't know if you wrote about it anywhere but the, there's a woman that you know that is the most prolific lucid dreamer that you've ever met she basically lucid dreams in pretty much every dream and from what I recall, it was because she was having horrible nightmares prior and somehow she learned. Is that, did I, do I, did I understand that correctly? I think you're thinking about the, the, the lady who has synesthesia. Is that who it was? I'm thinking about what that one. I know of quite a few people um, who who are very lucid. I, I have people writing to me, Zach, telling me that they're lucid all the time and that it's too much for them. And how wow. do they stop these? Yeah, 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 yeah. But these 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 dreams are often linked to anxiety and hypervigilance that carries over into the dream state. So they're not the kind of lucid dreams that most people are trying to have. They're just like a hype, a state of hyper awareness, you know, where the dreamer feels they're not getting any rest. And they can also be caused by certain medications. So we've got to kind of look at the whole picture always. We're all individual sleepers and dreamers. And I talk about this in the art of transform, uh, no, the art of lucid dreaming as well. You know how we're all different. It's good to get to know the kind of sleeper and dreamer that you are and look at the whole picture. How deeply do you sleep? Are you taking any medication right now? Uh, what do you do right before you go to bed? And, and how is your sleep? How is your night of sleep? Are you suffering from insomnia? Do you have nightmares? Do you drift into sleep paralysis? All of these things have to be taken into account when we're trying to become more lucid in our dreams because there are various things that we can change in our overall 
sleep that will enhance our dream lucidity if that's the direction that we want to go in. Yeah. That's good that you touched on all that. Yeah, I think that, you know, I, I often, I, I was in the opposite spectrum where I wasn't becoming lucid in my dreams. I felt completely out of control. I was just in there. It was like someone shoved me into a character role of a movie that really sucked and that I didn't want to be that character. And then I just would play out that role and then wake up terrified. And that was, that was my thing for a long time or anxiety, like anxiety dreams were my like good dreams <laughs> before. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <Aww>. Yes. <laughs> it's yeah. so tough. Yeah. Because this is the thing, you know, it's, it can be horrendous. I also get people writing to me saying I'm having nightmares every night and I'm scared to go to sleep and I don't want to live anymore. You know, I do get those kind of messages as well. And, and this is why I wrote the, the book on nightmares, because I had to have a, a response. I have so many, I don't know, so many practices that I can share with people. And I, I felt like I just have to get it into a book because otherwise you're just kind of responding to all these individual people. Um, but I don't know, it's just best to get it all into one place. So that's why I wrote that final book. I'm stopping with books for a while now. <laughs> but um, <laughs> I've done enough book writing. But um, I had to get that uh, into the book because people are so desperate, you know, really desperate. And I understand that, you know. I've, I've never felt myself that I, you know, it's so terrible with my nightmares that I don't want to live. I've never felt that, thank goodness. But I have had many nightmares in the past. And it, it takes a lot of courage and a lot of a lot of calmness as well to be able to to get through that but from a pretty early age I understood on a basic level the thought responsive nature of the nightmare and so it's really good to be able to calm ourselves down like take a deep calming breath and we can practice this in waking life just get that serenity get that soft belly that relaxed feeling and then when it becomes very normal for that for us to do that in waking life when we feel anxious that will automatically carry over into the dream state and as soon as we start feeling scared we'll relax the belly we'll take a deep breath and we'll grow calmer and when we do that in a dream the dream will grow calmer too it's it's like magic it's like a mirror you know it reflects our emotional state so that's it is that's an important thing that's one of the things that i learned from you is how to really calm myself in in that dream state so that the dream doesn't just collapse completely. Um, I also struggle getting really worked up just in waking physical reality. There's, you know, you know, just you hear something or somebody comes out just like, you know, you don't even know, like there's, there's some you prepare for. You're like, okay, I'm going to go to this place or be around these people. I know that there's a high likelihood I'm going to get frustrated or anxious or pissed off or whatever it is. But sometimes it sneaks up on you, you know, and then you're like, okay, how do I, how do I really have that discipline to really, to really, you know, give myself that gift to be able to do that? Um, a question that I have for you, Claire, that I haven't asked before. So I'll ask it now is, uh, are you still as, intrigued and inspired and curious um, uh, of the states of consciousness that are the spectrum of lucid dreaming as you were before is that something is that a curiosity that's continuously growing or is it are you getting are you getting bored yeah absolutely no god you can't get bored you can't get bored and that's what i love i love it that you can't get bored at all of exploring these states of consciousness because fundamentally you're exploring the nature of reality you know it's like how exciting is that so no I'm totally uh, still very fascinated by it and actually I'm teaching a deep lucid dreaming group at the moment to two groups uh, a week 
and we're having these fascinating conversations. We're, we're working on out-of-body experiences and the lucid void at the moment, you know, what happens in those, in those liminal kind of states of consciousness. And it's just so exciting to dive into this with a group of, of people who have who are deeply into lucid dreaming and have had many very interesting experiences themselves. And so when we, when we compare experiences and we talk about how, how, we, how we go from out of body uh, into the void and then up into sleep paralysis and then back into a lucid dream and how all these states of consciousness are threaded together and intermingle in amazing ways. I mean, that kind of thing it's inspiring for me as well, you know, I'm not just the teacher, I'm also, you know, I'm constantly learning in my life, and I, I love to learn, so yeah, no, I'm not bored, Zach, <laughs> no, I don't think I ever will. And then into a false awakening, and then back into another lucid dream, <laughs> you know, it's interesting, because you said all of that, and like, uh, probably even the last time we talked, I hadn't had all the, the that type of experience where I've gone through all of those. Like I would get into the void and then I would like my mind would convince me my my there was an aspect of me that would be convinced that I was asleep or I was awake but my eyes were closed lying in bed. I, I remember you you and I were working with this. And then I'm like, "Oh crap, I'm I'm awake." But if I just keep my eyes closed, maybe I'll go back to sleep. But if I open them, then I'll wake up. But wait, if if I'm asleep and I open my eyes, can I wake up or would I just be with my eyes open in the lucid dream? And then like I open my eyes and then I'm still in the dream. And I'm like, wait a second. I just, the reason I couldn't see anything is because my eyes were closed, you know, but I was actually still in the dream, but my eyes were closed in the dream. And I'm like, but wait, but my yeah, eyes, your dream eyes but, were my, closed. but wait, my waking <laughs> eyes are closed, but my dream eyes are like, this is so cool. Wow. Now I'm awake. Wait a second. I'm not, this isn't my room. I'm, I woke up, yeah. but I'm not actually awake, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And it's, it's super cool to experience that, to like, uh, and to experience the transition as well from this waking, well, from the physical body into the dream body. You know, that's another really wonderful kind of state of consciousness. And, and uh, I love doing these yoga nidra journeys, you know, when you lie down and relax and you float on the cusp of sleep, you, you go up through the levels of hypnagogic imagery and sensations. You can, you can kind of use those as a ladder into a wake-induced lucid dream. And the moment that you can't feel your physical body anymore is a magical moment. That's like the gateway into lucid dreaming because you're starting that transition from the physical body um, into your lucid dream body. And then you'll notice, you know, as you, as you allow that feeling to continue, you can just kind of imagine a scene in front of you or imagine yourself moving forward through a portal and uh, before you know it, you'll be inhabiting your dream body and you'll be surrounded by dream imagery or you'll go straight into the void, you know, depending on, on how it all goes. But it's fascinating to, to, to have that change, you know, and experience it. I love that. It's uh, very exciting. It's so cool to see how much you light up when you, when you talk about this. Because it's like, I, when I tell people about you, Claire, I, I'm like, she's like, real like a real fairy like if there's like a magical fairy like 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 it's actually really has like magical powers that's claire and like but she's not just like hey i'm the only fairy that has magical powers she's like running around going like hey all of y'all can do it and like here's how you do it and you don't have to like follow anything it's like it, 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 just it's any moment it's your birthright like here you go 
uh, I'm just waiting for like some crazy cult to like surround, like start gathering around you. I'm sure you would just give them their sovereignty back and send them on their way. But too right, you yeah. know. Uh, it, yeah. But it, it does. I mean, I, I again, if I'm hearing this five years ago when you're saying all of this, you know, you close your eyes and there's hip. I'd have to look up what the heck hypnagogic imagery is, and I question whether that's actually possible. And science, what does science say about it? And like wait, you mean you like close your eyes and then you see images and then you leave your body and you feel yourself leave your body and then you enter another body. But then is that a human body or is it a different kind of, what does it feel like? Does it smell? Does it taste? Does it touch? Does it hear? I guess for those people that haven't experienced that, does it touch? Does it taste? Does it smell? Does it hear? Ah, it depends on the person. Everyone has, so, so hypnagogia, uh, these are pre-sleep images and sensations. So we actually all go through the hypnagogic stage as we're falling asleep. It's just most of the time we're not conscious of that. We close our eyes and bam, we switch off our conscious awareness. But it's really, really interesting to follow these images, uh, become aware of them. And in fact, uh, if, you, if you read up about creative inventions, you know, the inventions of people who we term as geniuses over time, you'll see that um, very often they will draw on this incredibly creative hypnagogic state for their ideas. Um, there was the, the chemist August Kekulé who was working on the structure of benzene and uh, you know he's really trying to figure it out and he sat down by the fire uh, and he sort of drifted off into this hypnagogic state and um, he was aware of seeing all these molecules kind of dancing around uh, a bit like snakes and he was just watching them and then suddenly he saw that one of the snakes caught hold of its tail in its mouth forming a circle and whirred around in front of his eyes mockingly until he woke up. And he woke up understanding that the structure of, of benzene is actually a ring. You know, it's not a straight line, it's a ring. And that really helped him in his, his discoveries. One example, there's so many examples. Um, of course, you've all heard of um, Salvador Dali, you know, and uh, his, you've seen his, his uh, very surreal paintings. And he used to work a lot with the hypnagogic state as well, as did all of the surrealists. You know, they used to do automatic writing from the state of hypnagogia. So you'd, you'd sit there and, and, you know, you'd let your head drop off. It's like, you know, you drop your head sort of drops to the side as you're kind of just drifting into sleep. So it's stage one sleep. Um, and then they would write from this hypnagogic state, draw all the images that came into their minds or describe the words that popped up. Uh, and this would create this incredibly original um, language or these original images and that they could then work with. So it's, um, it's a well-known state of consciousness, the hypnagogic state, but a lot of us don't take the time to experience it, but you can, you can learn it really quite easily. And it's another of the things that, um, that I teach in my workshops because it is just so much fun because it's like the building blocks of dreams you know you can see the dream forming I mean I don't know how I don't know if you've have you done a, have you had like a wake induced lucid dream before Zach where you've experienced the hypnagogic state from the very early stages of of uh, light forms to the I generally I, I've seen the deep hypnagogic imagery and then uh, I either get excited, I think, or maybe like intimidated mm. by that transition. So like oh, I start yeah. to see it, I start to enter it. And then I'm like, either get like, wow, this is so amazing. And boom. And I pop back out of it. Or I go like, 
oh, this is too freaky. And then I like, boom, and I pop out of it. Yeah. Um, or, I, or I find myself entering the dream and then not sure. being lucid. Yeah, well, like yeah, all, that, all, that of my, all, of my, all of my lucid dreams have happened from within the dream. Um, ah, okay. I mean, I, I, I see hypnagogic imagery when I do your yoga nidra things. Yeah. Uh, and yours specifically. I mean, I've, I've had a couple other yoga nidras. Oftentimes the yoga nidra, for whatever reason, um, kind of goes in strange directions. I think you and I were talking about, it's like, you feel very heavy and you're like, yeah. oh, but that's not how I feel. And then like, and then all of a sudden it like changes though. It like messes the whole thing up and you're like, is this person experiencing the same thing I am? Or are they just kind of yeah. like reading from a script? You know, yeah. and I feel like. A lot of times the, the, the person who's saying it, like, you know, they're doing it for relaxation. They're not doing it to alter states of consciousness. Funny yeah. story. The first time I ever did Yoga Nidra, uh, I had no idea what the hell Yoga Nidra was. And uh, it was actually with Madeline, my fiance, who you know. And, uh, and so she's like, oh, yeah, I'm doing this yoga class over at the yoga studios when we first met. And so, and this is before I did any psychological work. I was a total disaster, but I would have never thought so. And so I go in the class and she's like, you know, lie down and it's different points of the body. You're, you're walking on a, you know, a grassy knoll and here you are. And I, I remember like, and I'm like, wow, this is crazy how visual I like this is. Like, I'm like, this is really wild. And I, I essentially went into the yoga that, Maybe that's the closest I've gotten to uh, an actual because I, I didn't I di I wasn't excited or nervous about it because I didn't know that there was anything to be excited or nervous about. I thought it was just some weird meditation thing, and uh, and then anyway, she like finally like ended it and she goes, okay, now you know uh, it's time to get up or whatever, start moving your legs, and I couldn't move, so I was just like, huh, huh, huh. and it's like, and then I, then I started to panic because I, I basically I had sleep paralysis and for. Maybe maybe a full minute or so, I, I couldn't move at all, and I, you know, I and some like, people have out of body experiences as soon as they try yoga nidra like that because they enter the sleep paralysis and then they're moving, you know, they kind of move up naturally and and uh, have an out of body experience. And actually, I in my deep lucid dreaming workshop, I did a an exercise with them where I got them to explore the void, and one woman reported that she had an out of, out of body experience while she was, uh, you know, listening to me describing the void and what she could do and moving into this dream body and so on. Uh, but she actually left her body, so it can it's a really great state if you're looking for those kinds of experiences. But you know, Zach. Honestly, the, the reason that I created this Yoga Nidra video and audio course is because you and I, you, you kept saying to me, oh, Claire, you know, haven't you got any Yoga Nidras that you've done? I like your voice. And, and these other ones are weird. They tell me I'm feeling heavy when I'm feeling light and all this. And so that's kind of what prompted me. I was like, okay, I've got to get this together because you just, you kept saying that how useful it would be. So uh, <laughs> it's, it's down to you that all that's out there, really. So thank you for pushing me to, to get that done. Yeah. <laughs> I'm glad you did it. I, I think it's a it's a huge gift that people could have access to this because it's basically like having a guide a, a guide into that into that realm. You know, it felt like before I was listening to Yoga Nidra to try to access a realm that that person wasn't even tr intending me to access. And I'm like, okay, I just need someone to say some things to get me to relax so I could not be thinking about it myself. I, I do want. 
I do, I do want to touch on something because we went, I mean, we started off heavy, you know, we went into like, I think we were talking about death in the first seven minutes of this podcast. Yeah, I know. Like, <laughs> you know, that's because we know each other well, you know, <laughs> that's how it goes. We've had so many conversations and, you know, it's just normal to do that, but it might've been a bit confusing for, for listeners. Hopefully not. Yeah. I mean, if people but, have listened yeah. to any of the other episodes, it gave them, it gave them some uh, preparation to go real deep, which is what oh, I, which good. is what I was talking to you about is like, if you want all the techniques of how to become lucid that's all easy to find out there on on youtube or in i'd i'd honestly recommend the llewellyn's complete guide that's i i think that if that's the only book you ever read on lucid dreaming i've read many books uh, on lucid dreaming but if that's the only one you read it would be enough to get you pretty much anywhere you want to go it's the I remember they, they used to have like those roadmaps where there's everything in there. But there's valuable things in all lucid dream books. But that one has, it's the most complete one. Uh, so it's aptly titled. Uh, I wanted to say, like, uh, is that all you do now is like really, really deep lucid dreaming? Or do you still go into lucid dreams to fly and have sex and have fun and all that stuff still? Or are you just over all that? Oh, I, I still have fun, of course. I mean, I think the whole of the lucid dreaming experience is just so vast and amazing that I always really enjoy it, for sure, you know. Um, in recent lucid dreams, I've been, well, because I've been doing, leading this live group, of course, that always inspires my dreams as well. So uh, recently, I guess I've been, I, I've done a bit of dream healing for myself and other people, but I've also been exploring the tumble, like if you can, how you can tumble into the void and then go from there into an out-of-body experience, so from the lucid dream. So kind of just looping through these different, slightly different states of consciousness and seeing how that works for me and how it feels. And as I said, everybody's a little bit different in how they experience these states of consciousness. Um, but yeah, I've also been doing, you know what I've been doing actually that I may not have talked to you about yet, Zach, is um, I... For, for years, actually, I found myself in these white rooms just quite unexpectedly. And I talk about this in my, in my latest book. But these rooms, I mean, I call them white rooms just so that everyone understands what I mean. But really, they're kind of just made of light. It's like this white luminosity. But in these rooms or these white spaces, I meet people who are either deceased and we talk about uh, life, the journey through life and, and beyond, or I meet consciousness explorers and we have really high level conversations about the nature of reality and lucid dreaming, waking consciousness, all of those sorts of things. And that's been happening for for many years, just quite spontaneously, these these lucid dreams where you don't have to think about, oh, I need to stabilize the dream. It's just, it's as easy as you and I being awake now, talking to each other. Um, and then I've also had these dreams kind of very recently of this, it's like a huge house, a massive space. And within that space, which is also very luminous, I can I can kind of shape the feel of things, I can purify it, or I can heal any um, any strange energy that's in there. And uh, I mean, with this whole situation with the coronavirus, I've been doing a lot of um, healing meditations, you know, sending out love and healing um, to the world. And it feels like that dream is like a kind of microcosm, or perhaps that's the macrocosm of what I've been doing in my waking meditations. And so actually changing the energy and feeling it in my dream body all the way up and down my spine, this kind of like tingling, like an electric sort of tingle. And, and it goes out into that space and transforms it. 
And uh, so I've been doing things like that, just exploring these these spaces and seeing what I can do, um, seeing seeing how I can extend my energy outward into those spaces and see what kind of effect it has. Uh, so yeah, that's the kind of recent thing that I've been up to. But it changes all the time, you know, as I as I evolve and as, as different people bring me different kind of inputs. Um, yeah, I just respond to whatever whatever's going on in, in my life, I guess, in that sense. Yeah, you, you hadn't shared that with me. That sounds, it sounds like something I hadn't even considered. So uh, another, another one of these, I guess, uh, signposts that there's always more you can do when, uh, I, think you, I think you're the one that quoted this, is that in lucid dreams, the only limit is your imagination. And you say, well, that's actually not true because uh, your imagination still has a limit. There's actually like a greater imagination than, than you, like the imagination itself with a capital I, so to speak, that uh, is greater. So like even your imagination can expand based on interaction with, I don't know what else, what else would you call these interactions that you're having? I mean, I think the, the word divine uh, comes up for me, uh, sacred. Yes, it certainly feels. I mean, these are these are amazing experiences, and and especially the ones that I've had. Also, when I connect with people who are deceased, and these are very often also consciousness researchers who I didn't even know particularly during like while they were alive, uh, it's, it, and I didn't really follow their work particularly. But they pop up, and they're they're these um, deceased people. They're always about twenty percent bigger than a regular person. Interestingly. And they look incredibly vibrant, like incredibly healthy, and they have this glow about them. And it's just wonderful to be in their presence. And it feels like an old friend, like a soul friend, even though I didn't know the person that well when they were alive. Do you know what I mean? And um, I, I've had experiences like this where one of the people I met was Dr. Ernest Hartman, who was a, a sleep and dream researcher. And uh, I met him once at an IASD conference many years ago, nice enough guy, but didn't feel particularly connected to him but suddenly he turns up in this in this white room and uh, and I was talking to him I said oh of course because you know you're you you died a couple of years ago and you know how is everything with you and he was like everything you know he did, we didn't speak in words but he conveyed to me that everything was was fantastic it was wonderful and he was very happy to be there and I started talking to him about the how much I love being alive, you know, I love it. I love the beauty of life. It's amazing to be in this physical body, breathing fresh air and looking at flowers and <laughs> walking around, you know, life is just beautiful. And I talked about the journey through life, you know, how it feels to be kind of um, a spiritual being in this physical body and then what happens after death. And, and he was sharing um, insights with me and and kind of helping me to understand more about about the the journey of the soul through life and all of a sudden this door that I hadn't even seen opened in this white room and this woman comes in and I don't know who she is but I welcome her in and we all have like a, a group hug and then during this hug which feels fantastic um, I suddenly realized my feet are not touching the ground anymore and that they because they're so big they've like lifted me up and it was so sweet. I just felt like, oh my gosh, they just totally support me. It's just, there was something so loving about it. Oh, and I just woke up from that dream, just like, oh, thank you. You know, just feeling so much gratitude to have had that experience with Ernest, you know. It's, <laughs> so things like that happen. Yeah. 
<laughs> yeah. Dreams are crazy, you know, they're just, they're just, they, they will expand us and expand us as long as we embrace them and uh, allow them to enter our lives. Yeah. Do you remember any dream um, that was, I, I, you've had so many deeply, deeply profound dreams, but do you remember a dream somewhere along your path that opened up the world for you to where you knew that there was so much more to the world uh, basically a miracle, um, that there was so much more to the world and to being than what we're told by, you know, society at large, by our current narrative. Yeah. Oh, I mean, I think those dreams, I would probably say that the ones that taught me that the most are the white light dreams. But I've also, just as you were speaking, I was thinking of, um, of a more psychological level dream, which nevertheless taught me the responsive... Uh, the thought responsive nature of waking reality and that was um, when very many years ago um, I had my baby and about four weeks after she was born she nearly died and uh, it was a really horrifying experience um, and I was traumatized by it and I started to have nightmares that she was that you know I would find her dead in her cot and try to resuscitate her and it wouldn't work and so um, because I was a new mum, I just, you know, just four weeks ago, I'd given birth to her, I was deeply exhausted. So every time I went to sleep, I would fall into an abyss. And then I'd have this nightmare, you know, um, it was really horrible. Um, and it made me feel even more worried about her. And so I was like, okay, the next time that nightmare comes, I've got to get lucid. And I didn't have any kind of plan of action of like, you know, oh, you know, I'll, I'll do this or I'll do that and I'll make it all right. I was just like, okay, got to get lucid. And so exhausted, I didn't even think about it. And then I had the nightmare again and I was trying to, like this, I'd found this baby dead and I was like screaming. And in the middle of the scream, I was like, ah, oh, it's that dream again. And I looked at this baby, and now that I was lucidly aware, it just wasn't a baby at all. It was this shabby plastic doll. Like, and I was like, I felt so annoyed that this shabby plastic doll had tricked me into thinking that it was a baby. I was like, ah, oh, you know, and I, I threw this doll on the floor and I shouted out, I refuse to have this kind of imagery in my dreams anymore. I am lucid and I know my baby is alive. And I said that with power. And then all my upset feelings just disappeared. And there was this amazing transformation. The whole energy of the dream changed. And there was like this, this rainbow kind of consciousness that went right through my body and it thrummed through me. And I had the sense that I was face to face or heart to heart with my dreaming mind. And that my dreaming mind understood that my daughter is alive, everything is good. And there was this sense of communion and transformation. And I woke up, my whole body was buzzing with this kind of beautiful energy. And um, after that dream, the nightmares never returned. My anxiety levels went right down. My daughter thrived and flourished. And I felt on some deep level that I had changed the course of reality by saying, 
she's alive, you know, this is not going to happen again. She's alive now. That is that, you know, kind of a real strong statement. And that for me was um, an incredibly transformative dream because it helped me to, to realize how we can shape and guide reality. And we can also really change the way that we react to circumstances because we don't have to react with fear and anxiety and pile on even more fear and even more anxiety and, and get depressed and, and get upset. We can actually transform that on a very deep level if we do this kind of dream work. And we'll wake up with feeling transformed and we will be transformed in the cells of our body. It's just um, incredibly intense. So that was one of the highly transformative lucid dreams that I've had. Uh, one, of, one of many, but that, uh, that one's special in my heart because it's linked to my daughter as well. I've never heard that one completely. I've heard the, the, the rubber doll, but the, the whole connection with you and your dreaming mind and the kind of agreement, the communion. I think that's really beautiful. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I think about, and I think we'll wrap up here in just a minute, but I think about um, how for so many people, dreams may not seem real. Uh, and it's because uh, they identify with their waking. I mean, so did I for a long time. And I still kind of have to consciously, like it takes effort for me to treat dreams as reality uh, and to remember dreams. And I think that people, they have, if you don't have a reason to remember dreams, you just stop remembering them. Like there's an intelligence that says, if you're not going to pay attention to this, I'm not going to shove it in your face, so to speak. Uh, so, but the more you, the more you tend to the dreams, uh, I, I mean, I could say now in the last, you know, year, I don't know if I have more dream memories or more like waking physical reality memories. Like my dream memories are, I've had so many profound experiences uh, that have that have related to my waking physical reality that like I don't know they're they're pretty close to on par depending on the day like did I have more dream memories or did I have more waking physical reality memories and they've be they've become to like become a mandala of sorts where like my my dreams start affecting my waking physical reality and then my waking physical reality f affects my dreams and it, and it creates this this unstuckness I guess or maybe we could use the word ecstatic. Uh, it it breaks through the stuck nature of of waking physical reality. It becomes a little less dense, um, yeah, and change change is brought in. Yeah, and that's that's when you really notice as well when you start weaving your realities together, the weaving the dream world into the waking world. You'll start to notice many more synchronicities as well, and the right people will fly towards you at the right moment and give you the right input that you need. It's it's really wonderful um, the way that everything becomes cohesive. It's a more cohesive flow, which makes sense. You know, logically, it makes sense that if we're you know if we're constantly ignoring and suppressing. Uh, a really important part of ourselves, this inner dreaming part, then how can our life be completely fulfilled? And how can we be completely in sync? But if we have the doors open to our dreaming mind, to our unconscious or to all those deep lucid experiences we can have, then life itself becomes enhanced. And when we work with lucid dreaming and understand the thought responsive nature of the dream and apply that to waking reality, then we, we start to live a really wonderfully conscious life, you know? 
we start to learn how to how to manifest or or attract the things that we that we need for our development right then and there and this all gives us a huge capacity to actually help other people because that for me is also a really important thing to say is that it's not just about helping yourself of course you need to yeah you need to help yourself work on yourself that really helps uh, the collective generally but when we do this inner work we're more able to then to expand out into the world and help other people. And there are so many people who really need help. There really are. I, I hear from quite a few of them, but there are so many millions more that I've not heard of, heard from, you know, and we need this help. So the more people who can wake up more in their lives and in their dreams, the more we can help others to have a happier life. Yeah. Yeah, I dream of a time when people in prisons uh, and people that are handicapped have access to this information. And I've, I've tried, I've tried, you know, with a couple people recently. And I think I'd shared that with you of like, there's someone that was a, that's a, a family member of someone that I know that's in, well, that got, became crippled recently. And I'm like, you have, like, you have to talk to Claire, like, like you're not like crippled in all aspects, you know, but there's this resistance or something. I think like, you know, maybe it's just not the right time, but yeah, like, exactly. you know, you can't you know people it. have, yeah. you know, I, I, I really feel like a lot of people just don't, don't believe it, you know, because I, I, if there really was a way to be able to walk and, you know, but maybe they still need to grieve the fact that they can't walk, you know. Yeah, exactly. It's a process and, you, process. you know, yeah. you can't kind of push it or make it happen faster but I think you know part of the problem is what we talked about right at the start which is when I shared my experience as a three-year-old having that really vivid nightmare uh, and then waking up and having my mum saying to me that wasn't real it was just a dream and if you look at the way people say that that to kids as we're growing up throughout childhood it's all about this waking physical reality this is the one reality this is what counts don't daydream stop going off in your imagination do your schoolwork focus on this um, all the time we've been told that these worlds, these inner worlds are not important, but in fact they are incredibly precious, you know, in, in and of themselves in their own right. But also when we mingle them with our waking existence, it enhances our reality on every level. I look forward to someday soon, Claire, having you come down to Hawaii, to the Rainbow Bridge here and... Uh... And do a do a I'd do a to. you know full on <laughs> yeah. full on retreat with with yoga and retreat. yoga nidra <laughs> and you know meditation and lucid dreaming yeah. and hypnagogic imagery and lucid writing and you know swimming in the waterfalls and eating healthy yeah. food yeah 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 that so definitely <laughs> I think I think it'll be really great actually I was talking to yeah. uh, Jorge Canessa Sevilla and he was talking going to talk to Ryan Hurd about mm. doing a retreat here. Uh, the two of them. I don't know if I don't know if I haven't heard back nice. from if Ryan was going to do it or if it's just going to be Jorge. But uh, we were going to do a fasting, you know, retreat uh, with lucid dreaming, and yeah, so it should be really. Excellent. We have uh, we, we don't have to worry so much about all of the structures in order to be able to do a fasting vision quest type of retreat. So, yeah. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Yeah, no, exciting. We can, yeah, we'll have to try and make that happen at some point. That would be fun. Lucid dreaming ocean retreat in Hawaii. <laughs> totally. I know people have asked you that, right? Wanting to yeah, do something Yeah, they have. Hawaii. And this is the thing. This is always the sign. This is what I mean as well about synchronicities. You'll get more and more people asking you about that one thing until it finally <laughs> totally. manifests into pre -cognitive, reality. Pre-cognitive <laughs> stuff. 
how do people connect with you? I mean, I found you on when your book came available on Amazon, on Audible. I went on Audible and I found the Wellens Complete Guide. And uh, and it was an English woman, but not you, that's uh, narrating it. She did a great job. I wonder how if she has a lot of lucid dreams herself. She probably started having them after that book, had she had she not had them before. <laughs> she probably did. Yeah. Yeah, well, I have a website, deeplucidreaming.com, and that's really the best place to, to find me and connect with my work. And yeah, there'll be information on there. If you sign up on the website, then in the newsletter, there'll be all the next kind of groups and classes and ocean retreats or whatever else that I'm, that I'm doing. So that's the best way of connecting with me. Great. Well, yeah. thank you so much, Claire. Thank you for we we made it happen. Thank you, Zach. Lovely to talk to you as always. Yeah, we made it happen. <laughs> Brilliant. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening. And please follow us to hear future episodes where we discuss topics such as alternative states of consciousness achieved through dance, intention, and shamanic practices, sacred economics, dream work, trauma healing, building community, permaculture, healthy and compassionate living and eating practices, somatic and alternative healing modalities, politics, psychology, mythology, and more. Our work is focused on the liberation of spirit, a return to the sacred, which is a constant collective inquiry. We aim both in person and on this podcast to plant and water the seeds of liberation from economic inequality, trauma, systemic conditioning, addiction, loss of soul, loss of meaning, hopelessness, helplessness, isolation, shame, nightmares, guilt, and a return to glimpses of your birthright, of dignity, joy, community, collaboration, equality, and constantly beautifying new world where you are not alone. And always, if you're ever in the Salt Lake City area, come join us for yoga, dance, or in the garden. A community of beautiful souls are here to welcome you. We gather in community Wednesday, 6 p.m. till 10 p.m. and Sunday, 11 to 3 p.m., and we have a vegan brunch or vegan dinner after every event. Our gatherings are all ages and are of no religious affiliation. We look forward to seeing you.